0: Welcome to the August 12, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today we'll discuss the safety and efficacy of Brentuximab Vedotin in combination with Nivolumab in patients with relapsed and refractory classical Hodgkin lymphoma. Learn more about the aging signature of murine hematopoietic stem cells and discuss the role of hepatocyte neogenin in iron homeostasis. Our first topic examines data presented in the blood article entitled Brentuximab-Vidotin in Combination with Nivolumab in Relapsed and Refractory Hodgkin Lymphoma. Three-Year Study Results by Ranjana Advani from Stanford University and colleagues. Prior research has shown that approximately 10 to 30 percent of patients with classical Hodgkin lymphoma either fail or relapse on standard therapy. Salvage chemotherapy followed by autologous stem cell transplantation is the standard of care for these patients. Achieving a complete metabolic response after salvage chemotherapy is associated with significantly higher long-term relapse-free survival following transplant. Therefore, identifying regimens that could improve the rates of complete response prior to autologous stem cell transplantation is critically important for this difficult-to-treat group of patients. The current Phase i 2 study evaluated Brentuximab, an antibody drug conjugate directed against CD30, in combination with nivolumab, a monoclonal antibody that targets programmed cell death protein 1, or PD-1 as first salvage therapy in patients with relapsed and refractory classical Hodgkin lymphoma. Both brentuximab and the checkpoint inhibitor nivolumab are well-tolerated and have demonstrated activity in classical Hodgkin lymphoma as single agents. Investigators therefore postulated that a combination of both agents may achieve a higher complete response rate and minimize the need for chemotherapy. In addition, this combination could be administered conveniently in an outpatient setting. 93 patients were enrolled on the trial at 11 U.S. sites. The study was divided into three parts. In Parts 1 and 2, patients received staggered intravenous dosing of brentuximab, 1.8 milligrams per kilogram, and nivolumab, 3 milligrams per kilogram, on days 1 and 8, respectively, of Cycle 1, followed by same-day dosing of both agents during Cycles 2 to 4. In Part 3, Both drugs were dosed the same day for the duration of treatment. Autologous stem cell transplantation was optional at the end of treatment, per investigator discretion. Median follow-up was 34.3 months. 92% of patients completed all four cycles of Brentuximab and Nivolumab. The overall response rate for treated patients was 85%, with 67% achieving a complete response. 92% of treated patients ultimately proceeded to autologous transplantation after initiating study treatment. The estimated progression-free survival at 3 years was 77%, and even higher, 91%, for patients undergoing autologous transplantation. An overall survival analysis found that 93% of patients were still alive 3 years after study treatment completion. Both the median progression-free and overall survival were not reached. Patients who responded to treatment had a higher median gene expression of CD30 in tumors than those patients who did not respond. However, responses were observed even among patients with low CD30 expression. No significant association was observed between PD-1 and pdl one gene expression and clinical activity. Using flow cytometric and cytokine analysis of the blood, investigators found that peripheral blood immune signatures were consistent with an activated t-cell response biomarker studies did not clearly delineate which patients were most likely to benefit or to fail therapy the most commonly reported adverse events were grade one or two nausea experienced by 52 percent of patients and infusion related reactions experienced by 43 percent of patients 16 or 18 percent of patients required systemic corticosteroid treatment to manage immune-related adverse events arising from study treatment. Taken together, these data demonstrate that the brentuximab-nivolumab combination was well-tolerated and, in combination with autologous stem cell transplantation, induces durable remission in a large number of patients with relapsed and refractory classic Hodgkin lymphoma. In an accompanying commentary, Yun Kyung Choi from New York School of Medicine and Catherine Deifenbach from New York University Perlmutter Cancer Center emphasized that the study demonstrated tolerability and efficacy of the brentuximab-nivolumab combination as salvage therapy prior to stem cell transplantation without compromising stem cell mobilization or engraftment. One outstanding question is whether a subset of these patients could have had durable remissions without a consolidative transplant— as nearly all patients, that is, 92%, proceeded to transplant. Larger randomized studies with more homogeneous follow-up are needed to evaluate Brentoximab and Nivolumab as a first choice for pre-transplant salvage, compared to chemotherapy-based salvage regimens, and whether the combo could be used as an alternative to transplant. Choi and Diefenbach also cite the need to identify predictive biomarkers of the brentuximab and nivolumab combination in order to tailor therapeutic intensity to patient disease risk. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled, A Comprehensive Transcriptome Signature of Murine Hematopoietic Stem Cell Aging by Arthur Floor Fedsen from the European Research Institute for the Biology of Aging, University of Groningen in the Netherlands, and colleagues. Prior research has shown that transplantation of Hematopoietic Stem Cells, or HSCs, into young recipients does not improve their function, indicating that cell-intrinsic and not host factors play a key role in HSC aging. Furthermore, studies to date have pointed to the existence of a range of distinct aging-associated mechanisms that, among others, include elevated inflammation and stress responses, chromatin remodeling, DNA methylation, and age-associated replicative stress in HSCs. However, it remains unclear to which extent these factors contribute to the aging of HSCs or why different mechanisms are reported by different studies. In this study, Investigators sought to identify a comprehensive transcriptome signature of aging HSCs and uncover the genes involved in the aging process. To achieve this goal, investigators analyzed 16 studies in which transcriptomes of young and aged murine HSCs were compared and combined this data with their own recently published dataset. They found that studies used a variety of designs and platforms and reported vastly different numbers of differentially expressed genes from dozens to thousands. Altogether, these 16 studies reported 6,000 differentially expressed genes between young and aged HSCs. Despite significant heterogeneity reported in published studies, investigators were able to uncover a robust HSC aging signature consisting of 220 genes. Using chromatin accessibility analysis, They confirmed increased transcriptional activation in aged HSCs. Furthermore, computational analysis revealed that approximately half of the aging genes encode for membrane-associated proteins, including cell surface molecules that weren't previously associated with HSC biology. Interestingly, the most consistently deregulated gene was SELP. SELP encodes the membrane protein P-selectin which mediates the interaction of activated endothelial cells, or platelets, with leukocytes. To determine the role of SELP in the functioning of long-term HSCs, the investigators overexpressed SELP in these cells and competitively transplanted these in young recipients. While engraftment levels were unaffected between long-term HSCs expressing high or low levels of SELP, They found that higher levels of SELP functionally contribute to myeloid bias, erythroid blockage, and functional impairment of HSCs. In addition to SELP, approximately half of the aging genes encoded for membrane-associated proteins, including numerous cell adhesion molecules, channels, and cytokine receptors. This enrichment of cell-membrane-associated transcripts suggests that physiologically aged HSCs communicate differently with their immediate environment compared to their young counterparts. An unexpected finding was the presence of transcriptionally young-like HSCs in aged murine bone marrow. In addition, single-cell transcriptomics analysis identified age-associated heterogeneity of the HSC pool. The authors trained and tested two different machine learning algorithms, restricting the aging-related list to the best 20 age-associated genes. With these 20 genes, both algorithms performed well in identifying young and aged HSEs when compared to the full list of aging signature genes. Investigators also used mathematical modeling to assess how well the selected studies predict the number of aging genes. They found that 11 studies used for analysis and 12 studies used for reanalysis correctly predicted more than 90% of all possible age-associated genes. Furthermore, all studies demonstrated comparable similarity to the aging signature, which points to a stability that is unlikely to change even if novel HSC transcriptomes are added. To make this information more broadly accessible to biologists, investigators provided a link to a user-friendly online resource in the article. In an accompanying commentary, Mathilde Pomplineau and Estelle Dupré from Aix-Marseille University in France noted that the study has developed a powerful resource for understanding the aging signature of HSCs. They further note that the 20-gene signature identified in the study may be useful in assessing the aging heterogeneity of an HSC population after various stresses or treatments, including rejuvenation strategies. The study's analysis of multiple transcriptomic datasets points to an association between the observed increased transcriptional rate in aged HSCs and the increased chromatin accessibility that occurs with aging. Pomplineau and Dupre identify this compelling observation as a future avenue for further investigation. <music> Lastly, We will review a report published in Blood entitled, Hepatocyte Neogenin is Required for hemojuvelin mediated Hepcidin Expression and Iron Homeostasis in Mice, by Carolyn Enns and her collaborators from Oregon Health and Science University. In this interesting report, Enns and colleagues use a mouse model to demonstrate that hepatocyte neogenin, or NEO1, is essential for systemic iron homeostasis. NEO1 is a transmembrane receptor with critical functions in a range of cellular processes, including cell motility and adhesion, as well as survival and differentiation. To regulate these functions, NEO1 has the ability to bind to a range of different ligands, including hemojuvelin, a member of the repulsive guidance molecule family of proteins, and bone morphogenic protein, or BMP, co-receptor that has a role in hepatic hepcidin expression. In the absence of association with hemojuvelin, NEO1 is rapidly internalized and degraded. In humans, mutations in the hemojuvelin gene reduce hepcidin expression in the liver and are associated with the development of juvenile hemochromatosis. The most common of these mutations, G320V, disrupts the interaction between hemojuvelin and NEO1, suggesting that this interaction may have a role in normal iron homeostasis. To date, the function of NEO1 in iron homeostasis was not adequately studied due to the lack of a suitable animal model. In the current study, investigators created a hepatocyte-specific NEO1 knockout mouse model to further study the role of NEO1 in iron homeostasis. This model allowed them to avoid the developmental defects and lethality associated with the global NEO1 mutant. NEO1 knockout mice exhibit reduced BMP signaling decreased hepcidin expression, high serum iron, and iron accumulation in the liver. Investigators found that iron accumulation in these mice was related to the absence of a functional Neo1 gene, as opposed to reduced iron utilization by erythropoiesis. In replacement studies, the authors found that expression of a Neo1 mutant that does not interact with hemojuvelin was unable to correct the decreased hepcidin in Neo1 knockout mice. They demonstrated that the interaction between neo1 and Hemojuvelin is essential for hepcidin expression. A closer look revealed that Hemojuvelin binding triggered the cleavage of the neo1 cytoplasmic domain by the gamma secretase-like protease and resulted in subsequent accumulation of truncated neo1 on the plasma membrane. Interestingly, Additional studies conducted in hepatoma cells did not support an earlier hypothesis that NEO1 regulates iron homeostasis by inhibiting hemojuvelin shedding. Instead, investigators propose a model in which interaction between NEO1 and hemojuvelin leads to accumulation and stabilization of cleaved NEO1 on the plasma membrane, where it acts as a scaffold to induce BMP signaling and hepcidin expression. The authors suggest that future studies should examine whether NEO1 may have a role in iron homeostasis through other signaling pathways. In an accompanying commentary, Marie-Paul Roth from Institut National de la Santé et de la Recherche Médicale in France noted that this work by Enns and colleagues adds neogenin to the list of molecules with a proven major role in modulating hepsidin expression. While this study clearly demonstrates that the neo one hemojuvelin interaction activates BMP signaling and upregulates hepcidin expression, elucidating the underlying mechanisms governing this interaction remains an open question. For example, one hypothesis she notes that may be tempting to explore is whether the Neo1-Hemojuvalin complex might sequester BMP ligands at the hepatocyte membrane and transport them via the endosomal pathway to compartments enriched in BMP receptors where, after disassociation from hemojuvelin they would bind to their receptors, activate signaling, and induce hepcidin expression. Clearly, these new data supporting the importance of hepatocyte neogenin in the maintenance of iron homeostasis open many opportunities for future research. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.